Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Kathleen Volk Miller. I woke up to this thumping behind my headboard. It sounded like somebody was actually inside the wall, pounding on it with all of their strength. That and more, but before that, I just have to give some shout-outs to two of our newest Patreon members, Adam Rubenstein and Lindsay Borsma. Thank you both so very, very much. We always give a shout-out when someone is donating $25 or more per month over at Patreon, and we desperately, desperately need it. Like, we uh, have had somewhat of an existential crisis this year, and we are not out of the weeds yet. We are still in a precarious position, not quite as precarious as a couple of months ago, but we still very, 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 very much need the help of our fans to keep risk running strong. There are... 20 people who work for this organization, our sound editors, our story coaches, our teachers, our administrative folks, our website people, our publicity people. So there is a lot, a lot of very hardworking people who are making very little for what they're doing. And, you know, basically we just... We've spent most of our time just trying to break even, quite frankly. Risk has large... We've always wanted it to become one of those big shows, but 11 years in, it has mostly been a labor of love. I remember when we started Risk, talking to the audience about how I couldn't possibly afford to go to the dentist, and 11 years later, I can't afford to go to the dentist. However... Our fans have been very generous this year. We're getting close. We're not there yet, but we're getting close to maybe $10,000 per month from our patrons over at Patreon. And we have promised that once we get there, I will record a jazz lounge version of the Stamps.com song. So pitch in. Go on over to patreon.com slash risk. Become a member. There's a ton of perks to becoming a member. All those bonus stories, all those check-ins from me, interviews with storytellers and with staff and faculty members. Like, There's just a ton to be gained from becoming a patron of ours over at Patreon, including ad-free versions of each episode. So get on over to patreon.com slash risk and help keep us running. And if you want to make a one-time donation, go to paypal.me slash risk show. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now here's the show. Yeah. 
Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. <laughs> I'm Kevin Allison. This is Phantomas behind me now. The Risk theme this week was made by Olivia Oyama and Jeff Barr. And this is Scary Stories 12, the 12th Halloween episode that Risk has produced here for 2020. And you know, in the past, we've given them these subtitles, like we've had Eek, Ack, Ick, Zoinks, Boo. This year, we're calling the show Ayy! As in, Ayy! I think you get where I'm going with that. I'm going as to you shall go soon. That's right. As to you shall go soon. Folks, I can't tell you this episode is is so much fun and so scary. It's just a great tradition we have with our annual scary stories episode in a little bit we're going to hear from risk fan Stephen bradley from the uk he uh heard us calling out for pitches and sent one in and we loved it but before that we're gonna hear from kathleen volk miller who shared this story at our recent halloween live stream If you've never been to one of our live streams before, you should really try to make it. This was such a treat. I wasn't there. I was away for the weekend, but the comedian Jonah Ray guest hosted the live stream, and it was so much fun. He started off joking around a lot about horror movies and haunted houses and all that sort of thing, and led us right into this story told by Kathleen Volk Miller. And by the way, Kathleen has a literary magazine, Painted Bride Quarterly, that you can find at pbqmag.org. Here is Kathleen now with a story we call The Thumping. I grew up in a haunted house and I'm really used to the eye rolls I get when I say that, but I do kind of like watching scary movies and everybody else is saying, get out, just get out. Why don't you leave the house? And we didn't leave either. So I get it. The thing was, is the house was a pretty cool house most of the time. It was a four bedroom house and it had been the original house of an apple farm and We had lots of apple trees and fruit cellars in the basement, and we liked it there. I'm from Pittsburgh originally, smack in the middle of five kids, and we lived in the house for six or seven years before anything supernatural started to happen. We ranged in age from 19 to 7 when the thumping began. The thumping is how it all started, and that's what we call that period of our lives, the thumping. But that's where it all began. My sister and I shared a bedroom, and one night in early fall, I woke up to this thumping behind my headboard. Knocking doesn't convey the volume of sound. Banging doesn't convey the reverberation, the echo that would happen. It sounded like somebody was actually inside the wall, pounding on it with all of their strength. My sister woke up before I could even call her name and she started screaming and so we were both yelling and dad came running up the steps. As soon as he opened the door, the thumping stopped. So he immediately did what any dad would do and said, one of you had a nightmare and woke up the other one, go to sleep. So we hoped that was true, but it wasn't. The thumping kept happening, but it didn't happen every night, which made it much worse because there was hope every night that it was over. But it got worse. Pretty soon my brothers were hearing it too and each one of them was reporting that the sound was behind their own headboard. 
My oldest brother, Jerry, wasn't quite sure, though, what he was hearing because he was also often sneaking out a bedroom window and shimmying down an apple tree and going to keg parties. But regardless of that, my dad just kept telling us that there were raccoons on the roof or in the chimney. And my second oldest brother, who actually grew up to study architecture, drew a schematic of the house and showed him that all of our heads were on different walls so that that could not be true. But he just stuck to that animal idea. And we were good Catholic kids. So, you know, every night we would lay in bed and say, please don't let the thumping happen. Please don't let the thumping happen. But it didn't help. Somewhere before Thanksgiving, I woke up, but not to thumping. I woke up because my sister was sitting straight up in bed and laughing in a voice that wasn't her own. When I saw her face, I jumped back under my covers. Her eyes were wide open, but it wasn't her. And I just started screaming my brother's name now under my blankets, and the laughing didn't stop. All three of my brothers came in at once. I don't know if they heard her laughing or me screaming. I don't know if they made a pact out in the hallway or what it was, but they came in and my oldest brother just held her really tight until she stopped. She stopped for that night, but another phrase was now added to my nightly chant, don't let the thumping start, don't let Karen wake up laughing. But she still did. Erratically, just like the thumping two nights in a row, three nights off, one night, it just, we never knew when it was going to happen. Earlier that summer, we had started to play with a Ouija board. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, a friend of my sister's had given it to her because she was afraid to play with it, but we weren't afraid. In fact, we were only not only afraid, but we didn't ask it normal questions that tweens would ask, you know, does Peter like me and things like that. We were asking it things like, when am I going to die? Is Jesus real? Things like that. And we would squeal and scream and, you know, but the planchette was just zooming all over the place and we thought it was kind of awesome. We were too young to know that trope of young girls and Ouija boards at the time. We didn't know that, but something did make me get the Ouija board around then. It was under my bed and take it downstairs and put it on the game shelves. (laughs) So, but I guess it was our parents' staunch denial of the thumping that made us kids think that we were on our own. My dad just kept making up stories about old houses settling. My mom wouldn't talk about it at all. So my brother Jerry did some research about the owner of the house, Mr. Whalen, and apparently he was the neighborhood curmudgeon. He was the kind of guy who, you know, kept baseballs that got hit in that yard and yelled at kids for picking apples, even though hundreds would rot on the lawn. But apparently right before he died, he found Jesus. And he took all that anger that he had had and now funneled into spreading the word of the Lord. So this really worked for us. We now had a narrative of what was happening in the house. Mr. Whalen was pissed off that Jerry was sneaking out to go drink. This had to be the problem. So now we knew what the story was, but we didn't know how to fix it still, right? Of course, we asked my brothers to switch rooms with us, and they wouldn't, and we just all kept keeping on, because that's what you do. And sometime after Christmas, I woke up, and my bedposts were shaking, and there was this new noise in the house. There was this low murmur of, like, lots of people talking at once, you know, when you're in a theater before the show starts or in a cafeteria and we had this very deep like eight foot nine foot walk-in closet the door opened and people came out they were in twos and threes men women children just all of these people and I know that this sounds the most insane and it was intense but the weirdest thing is they weren't looking at us they just 
walked out of the closet talking to each other and crossed in front of our beds and walked out the door. But of course we lost our minds and were yelling and screaming and of course our brothers came back in and we just knew that something had to break here, you know, and we were doing the nightly chants and now it was very long because now it was please don't let the thumping happen and please don't let Karen wake up and please don't let the people come out of the closet. Finally, Jerry came up with a plan and that was to have a priest come and bless the house. So my brother told my parents and my parents immediately agreed and within a couple days of all of this father crowley was in our living room and he had a gold ball with incense burning in it and some other baton like thing with holy water and he just started walking through our house and he was chanting in latin and swinging the ball and the incense was in the air and the, we were kind of hiding behind furniture and watching and fascinated and scared at the same time and 100% sure that this would work. This was magic, right? It had to be. I remember that night going to bed almost giddy, feeling like I wasn't going to be able to sleep out of excitement and relief instead of fear. So Jerry said he'll stay home to make sure it wasn't anything to do with him sneaking out. We all went to bed, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, the thumping started again. And it was the worst it had ever been. It felt like the walls themselves would crumble in the house. And this time, I really don't remember anybody saying anything, but all of us just running down into the dining room, you know, meeting in the main room of the house, and my parents were wide awake and standing there too. The chandelier was swinging, Dishes were rattling in the china cabinet, and the thumping was unbelievable. And my dad said, we have to go. And it was the worst moment because he admitted defeat. And this was, you know, Superman, and he couldn't do anything. So we all, I don't even know what we grabbed, put on shoes, I guess, and the thumping just kept happening. And we all... We're kind of gathering in the front hall of the house, and my brother Jerry was in front. I remember this clearly, and he had his hand right on the doorknob, and I was directly behind him. And this booming just built to this incredible crescendo, and it was coming down the stairs right behind us. Everybody just looked as if something was coming, and there was just boom, boom, boom. And then it stopped. And we were just standing there for I don't even know how long. And then my father said, I think it's over. And it was. And it took my family at least a decade to be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And when we were able to talk about it, my father admitted that they did feel all along that it was something supernatural, but didn't want to admit it to us because they didn't know what to do. And he also admitted that he tried to throw away the Ouija board one day, put it actually in a bag of kitchen trash and put it out to the curb. And then the next day when he went to bring the cans back in, the Ouija board was sitting all by itself in a trash can. So we've moved through the rest of our lives, my entire family, just, you know, respecting anybody who has a story like this one to tell. And we always make sure to tell people don't ever have a seance or a medium in your own home, because if you open a window, you don't know what will fly in. And especially, especially don't ever play with a Ouija board. Are you moving it? No, I'm not moving it. Look, it's spelling something. Go ahead, ask another question. This is too weird. You are moving it. No, I'm not. You're moving I'm it. I'm not moving it. <laughs> you are. I just moved in my new house today. Moving was hard, but I got squared away. Bell started ringing and changed right aloud. I knew I'd moved in a haunted house. 
never made up in my mind to stay Nothing was gonna drive me away When I seen something that give me the creep Had one big eye and a two big feet I'm frightened, I'm so frightened You've got a right to be We're trapped by a bunch of fiends Hold on just a little longer, Shirley. Shirley. It would seem that the Wolfman would have you for his own. Leave her alone, you fiend! Nothing alive looks like that. Like I feel a cold chill all over. They wouldn't dare put both of us in the same grave. I should hope not. I hate you. And I thought you loved me, loved me. I have promised both the Wolfman and the Mummy a reward. It could be that you are that reward. You need not worry. Not just now, anyway. In all honesty, I don't think I appreciated how cold it was that night until I'd said goodbye to my friends. You see, my friends and I would venture into the city centre every single Saturday night. We would drink way too much beer and then at around 2am would decide to stumble home drunkenly together in a large group. In safety, nobody felt scared, everything was good. That is, except for me, who had to complete the journey all alone living at least a mile away from everybody else. As soon as I said goodbye to the final friend, the fear would rise in me. But tonight it was different. There seemed to be something in the distance that was actually giving me legitimate cause to be afraid. I then looked up, saw something across the street. Was that a garbage can? No, it was, it was a person. But it wasn't a person, they were too still. There was no humanity, there was no light in their eyes. I travelled down the street a little bit further to get a closer look. And it still looked human, but its stillness made me realise it was most likely a mannequin that somebody has left out for the garbage collection that comes early on a Saturday morning. But today was Sunday. So, well... Let's not, let's not get worried. They've just, they've just forgot to pick it up. It's not a problem. It's definitely not a person. As I get closer and closer, I see that it is indeed a person. It is an old gentleman looking down at his feet, stood with his hands tightly clasped together around his waist, just looking down. I stood in disbelief, I was just looking across the street at him, trying to figure out what this person was doing and whether I needed to offer help of some kind. Suddenly, he answered my question by raising his head with a great speed and it's as if his eyes create light because they are now shining in the completely dark street. His eyes fixed completely on mine and I froze completely in place. All of the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Out of nowhere, he began shouting, I'll fucking kill you! I'll fucking kill you! That was all I needed to hear. I started running, but I was too late because he had already started running across the empty street. And it was clear to me that he was faster than I was, but that didn't stop me running as fast as I possibly could. I didn't even look behind me, but I knew that he was chasing me because I could hear his footsteps behind me. I ran as fast as I possibly could. My heart was racing, my throat was dry. There was sweat pouring off me, but I genuinely felt as though I was in fear for my life. But then, suddenly there was no footsteps behind me anymore. I turned around to see the man on all fours taking on a dog-like form. He'd not changed in any way other than being on all fours. He had not grown hair. He'd not grown long ears or sharp teeth. 
he was still very much a human, but now, in every other way possible, had assumed the role of a dog, and had started to bark loudly, and then once more started to run towards me on all fours. This just frightened me more than anything that had happened previous. I then decided that the only option again was to run, and this time not to stop until I reached home. I ran and I ran and I ran, and I was sure that he was just behind me as the steps and the sounds of his bare palms hitting the ground seemed to grow louder. He was pursuing me, running and still barking like a dog. I was rounding the corner, I was almost on my street. I was, I was probably two minutes away. I kept running and running and running. I looked back and the dog man was still chasing me, still getting closer and closer. And then finally, I round the corner of my house and I run up the driveway and then only then am I brave enough to look behind me and nothing is there. No sound, nothing. I quickly let myself into the house and then run up to my bedroom and look out the bedroom window which gives me a better viewpoint of that entire street and there is nothing there. Almost as if there was nobody ever there. But what was very real was my heart was still racing, my muscles were still sore, and my skin was still moist with sweat. I don't know what happened that night. Whether it was something deep and dark from the early days of Preston, coming out for a visit again that night, and I happened to stumble across it and ruin whatever it had planned. But whatever it was, I will never forget that night. It was deeply terrifying, and I hope I never see the dog man ever again. behind me now and we just heard from Stephen Bradley a fan of Risk who heard us calling out for pitches and sent one right in to us you can find Stephen on Twitter at Oakland Rovers before that a little interstitial by JJ Evans and before that a song by Jumpin' Gene Simmons not to be confused with long-tongued Gene Simmons. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 
Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Now! There's so much more to come on this episode. More stories and more. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Andres Franco. Before that, a story from Leah Scotia. But before those two, we're going to hear a story from Gabriela Lopez. John LaSala is an editor, an audio editor with Risk, and he does a lot of scouting around the internet, searching places like Reddit, for people sharing scary stories or other kinds of stories throughout the year. If you ever see that sort of thing, let us know. Like, oh my God, this person on Twitter or wherever seemed to have an amazing story. Let us know and we'll reach out. That is how we found Gabriela Lopez, who you can find on Twitter at CryptK33P. And here she is now with a story we quite simply call Gabriela. The first time it happened, I was six. I was in bed at my grandmother's house, and my eyes were locked down this open door that goes down the hallway and into the kitchen. It was pitch dark, it was the middle of the night, and nobody else was awake in the house, but all I could hear was my grandma calling me from the kitchen in her very specific little Cuban lady accent and voice. She was screaming down the hallway, calling me to the kitchen saying, Gabriela, Gabriela. I could not get up though. I could not get myself out of bed to even go see what she needed or go see why she was calling me from the kitchen because to my right in her spot of the bed was my grandmother. She was laying there dead asleep, breathing. I could see her, I could feel her, but for whatever reason, all I could hear was her calling me. This wouldn't be the last time it happened though. When I was 13, I went to the Grand Canyon and we decided that we were gonna take a tour with these Native American people. And we had gone into the certain spot of the Grand Canyon where they had started just dancing so vigorously around this drum and making noise and just this whole ritual, they were just having it. And I decided to get away from the noise for a little bit and just stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon looking down at how deep and how immense it was. And I had gotten this idea to scream into the Grand Canyon and see if I hear an echo. And so I yell into the Grand Canyon, hello. Instead of getting my hello back, all I could hear was my grandmother yelled back as if my echo had got into the fucking canyon and came back my grandmother. But it wasn't my grandmother this time. It was her voice. It was her calling me in the same tone, but it wasn't her this time. It was almost as if they put her through a recorder and reversed it and just fucked up the tape so bad that you could barely tell what it was. It was just terrifying. 
obviously I shit myself and ran back to the group and I didn't tell anybody because I thought they were gonna call me crazy. I sound like a crazy person saying that the Grand Canyon yelled my name back when I didn't say my name. This wasn't even the scariest event that has happened around it. When I was 14, whatever is making this voice follow me around got brave enough to stand in front of me. I was on vacation in the Keys with my best friend of years, childhood best friend, and we were in this rented house stealing the owner's Netflix for the day. So it was just me and her in the house watching movies. We pause a movie for some reason and we decide we're gonna go use the bathroom and we're gonna refill on snacks. I had believed that me and her decided to do the snacks first so we were both standing in the kitchen. She was standing right in front of me. We were talking. I'm looking at her and she's looking down at her phone and she's holding it in the specific way where she doesn't put her hand under it to support it. She just kind of like thumbs through things while talking to you. So I notice she's doing it again, and it's just Ashley. It's her, up, up and down. Her hair, her movement, her body position, leaning against the counter. And I turn away for a second. I look back, and she's just not there. Where she is, is 30 feet away, coming out of the bathroom, as if she had been there the whole time. I freak the fuck out, and I'm like, how did you get to the bathroom that fast? And she goes, I was in the bathroom the whole time, what are you talking about? And I tell her, no, you were not in the bathroom the whole time. I was just talking to you about these snacks and what we're going to do later. She loses her mind. She says, no, I was in the bathroom this whole time. I just got my period. I got up from the couch and I went to the bathroom. You went to the kitchen by yourself. I swear on my mom. I thought she was fucking with me. And I'm like, don't mess with me right now because it's something that's happened a lot. And you know that. And she goes, dude, we got to get the fuck out of the house. When I was 16 is the most recent time it's happened. So this weird lady offers us a cabin. Her name was Aunt Bugs. We go to her cabin and it's right off the side of this secluded hill in Seaverville, Tennessee. And we were the lowest cabin on this little mountain and there was a house above us. We had decided that me, my sister, and my little brother are gonna do a photo shoot outside. We just decided Let's climb up the little hill and go into the slightly deeper woods and get some cool pictures in the woods. And so we're standing there, we're sitting on these stumps and we're like posing for the pictures and it's my brother's turn to take pictures of me. So I'm sitting completely still, my brother's holding the camera as still as he can and my little sister is just hanging as close to us as she possibly can. And then from deeper into the woods comes that voice from my childhood and from the Grand Canyon calling me into the woods. Gabriela! Gabriela! In the middle of the fucking woods. My brother looks at me, my little sister looks at me, I'm the older sibling in this situation, and nobody says a thing. Nobody says a word. We just automatically all decide, we're gonna fucking book it. Because if my grandmother's calling me from the woods while she's miles away in Miami, we know there's some shit wrong. So I'm basically throwing my siblings down back the little hill, running back into the cabin. And the first thing I do when I bust into the door is yell at my mom, did you call my name while we were in the woods? And she looks at us like we're crazy. This is the first time I ever confronted anybody about it. This is the first time she's ever heard anything about this. And my siblings are like crying and freaking out. And she looks at me, she goes, I was in bed all day. And I go, no, if you are messing with me right now, you need to tell me because it's not a joke anymore. And she's freaking out. She's saying, no, I didn't call your name. That was our last day in Aunt Bug's cabin in the middle of Seaverville, Tennessee. This isn't the last time it's happened. It happened once again in the Keys. It happened to me in Mexico. It's something so unavoidable in my life at this point where people and my friends are just scared to go camping with me. Honestly, the best advice people have given me is just stay the fuck away from the woods. Uh,
children, have you ever met the bogeyman before? No, of course you haven't, for you're much too good, I'm sure. Don't you be afraid of him if he should visit you. He's a great big coward, so I'll tell you what to do. Hush, 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 here comes the bogeyman. Don't let him come too close to you, he'll catch you if he can. Just pretend that you're a crocodile, and you will find that bogeyman will run away a mile. Murder at midnight. Allow me to introduce myself. I am dead. No, Betty, no. Don't make me. I say yes. Here, she's got to die. Betty. I say yes. I'll hold her arm. All right, Betty. Betty, but... No, 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 no. I don't want to die. Don't make me. I say yes. They're coming to get you, Barbara. It's a little bit after midnight, and I'm alone in my bedroom, sitting on my bed in my underwear, when I hear my roommate's cat making this otherworldly yowl. I've never heard anything like it before. So I go out into the hallway to check on her and I see her staring into the living room to the corner where there's, there's nothing. So I walk a little closer and I see that there's a shirt just floating there. And as my eyes adjust to the light, I realize that it's not just floating, that that shirt is on a man, and that man is standing in my living room, and I have no idea who that is. I am petrified. I clutch my chest and I try to say something, but nothing comes out. And finally, I, I remember, and I say, oh, you must be my roommate's friend. Go ahead and get settled in, and he'll be here later. I walk back to my room and I just feel every hair on the back of my neck standing up because I realize that he's following me and he is now standing in the doorway of my bedroom and there is no way for me to get out. I'm three stories up and there is absolutely no escape. I feel really, really small. As his eyes are just boring through me, my clothing feels absolutely transparent. And I think, what can I do to get him to not come any further? And so I tell him, oh, well, what can I get for you? And he finally says something in this low gravelly voice. He says, thirsty. And I take a step forward and another step forward. And he finally, he takes a step back. And I'm able to guide him into the kitchen and I get him some cookies and some lemonade and I leave him standing there, and he still hasn't said anything other than that one word. So I babble a little bit more, and I tell him that my roommate will be back later, but I, I have to go to bed, and I am so scared. I close my door, my heart is just pounding, and the only thing I can think of is to call my boyfriend, because I need to talk to him. There is nothing else that I can think of to do right now, but he doesn't answer and, and I leave a message and I think about how I recently decided to leave the Mormon church and I part of that was discarding the underwear the special protective underwear that you wear and along with that is a warning that if you leave this church and you you decide to turn your back on these vows that you made before that evil may befall you and at some point I must have fallen asleep because the next thing I realize is there's knocking on my door. I open up and I see that my roommate's door is closed and I go to the front door and I find my boyfriend there and his eyes are just wide. He says he's, he got my message but he's never heard me sound so afraid. And I let him know what had happened and I, I'm trying to make sense of it when my roommate's door opens 
and there is that man. The man from last night is standing there and he just looks at us and he nods. And my boyfriend nods and he walks out the door. And now I, I just have to get to class. And when I get home, my roommate's back and I tell him that, hey, your, your friend is really weird. I, I don't think he should stay here again tonight. And he looks at me really strangely and he says, that's not my friend, that's your friend. When we came home, your guest was in the bed and so we had to stay elsewhere. And at the exact same time, we both realized that we have no idea who just stayed in our apartment. I look over to that bed that we have in the living room and there's a pile of clothing there. And it's not regular clothing, it's the clothing from the hospital. And printed on it, it says property of the mental health unit. And I, I have to get rid of it. So I pick it up to throw it away and this cockroach scurries out. And it's like my fear embodied. Now, I don't know that there's anything that has to do with special magical underwear that protect you. And I definitely don't have any street smarts, but I do think there's something to be said for kindness. And maybe this guy was just so confused that I was nice to him and, and let him stay there. Over the next couple of weeks, I walk past my apartment and around campus and it's a little strange because I keep finding bits and pieces of my clothing and I can't help but wonder when was this guy in my room? Faces look ugly when you're alone Women seem wicked when you're unwanted Streets are uneven when you're dull When you're strange Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name So this event took place in 2018. I had just graduated college at 23 and I was staying over at my friend Jesse's house who was 21 at the time and living with his family. We're both theater performers and I'd often come over to write for whatever musical or play we were working on and since it went late, I usually spend the night. On this particular night, we wanted to write a play about a haunting. So we binged watch paranormal content from YouTube videos to scary movies for inspiration. I myself had never personally experienced anything paranormal in my life, and while I don't want to go so far as to say that I didn't believe those things were real, as far as I was aware that stuff is in movies and television and nothing like that had happened in real life, or at least not my life. We start winding down around 1am and we're sharing a bed in his room. His bed is pushed up against the corner and he's sleeping on the side with the wall and I'm on the side facing the open bedroom. We turn the lights off and he knocks out almost immediately, and after about 15 minutes on my phone, I'm ready to go to sleep. So I put my phone down, I shut my eyes, I tuck myself under the sheets, and I listen to the silence of the room. But as I begin to process the clearing of my mind, my eyes have maybe been shut for about a minute at most before I feel an energetic pat go down my leg. It was heavy and a bit aggressive, almost like there was an emergency of some kind, or Somebody needed my attention. But I found it odd that I didn't hear anybody come in. I feel like I would have heard the doorknob turn, the door open, or footsteps, something. But I just feel this pat go down my leg. I figure it's one of his parents, and I open my eyes to find that there is no one in front of me. I'm staring into pitch black nothing. A chill went down my spine, and I felt the blood in my face flush and my stomach get heavy. I turn to Jesse and I begin patting his back to wake him up. Jesse, Jesse, wake up. Jesse, wake up. He turns his head and he barely opens his eyes. Jesse, I was just touched by a ghost. 
I felt a hand pat down my leg. He furrows his eyebrows and he squints at me. What are you talking about? He was clearly still on the other side as I'm telling him, you need to switch sides with me. I can't sleep on this side. I want to be next to the wall. Now, as much as I believed in the moment that I was touched by something, I was too spooked to give it too much thought. I didn't want to mentally stay on the topic, mostly because I was still in this room. If anything, I thought this might even be a cool story for the future. I was touched by a ghost, but in the meantime, get back to bed and don't scare yourself even more by wondering what might happen. He falls asleep almost immediately, and I turn to face the wall with my back to the open room. I close my eyes to try to sleep, but I can't help shake the feeling of being vulnerable. It's hard to relax thinking you can't see something that might possibly be in the room staring at me for all I know. And then I heard the oddest sound. From directly behind me, I'd have guessed just at the edge of the bed if not a little closer, I heard a faint whisper of a high-pitched tone. It was small, but it felt pointed at me, projected at me even. It was light and thin and shrill like a tiny, miniature... And what really made my heart pound in my chest was that it sounded like a childish taunt. I could feel that I was being taunted for moving to the other side of the bed. I turn around and punch Jesse flat in the back and he wakes up. Oh, what the fuck? And I say, you just tried to fuck with me after I told you I was scared because a ghost touched me. And he looks in shock and disgust and he tells me, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was sleeping until you punched me in the back and woke me up. For whatever reason, I believed him. I could tell from his scrunched eyes that he wasn't amused and he had clearly been passed out. Well, if it wasn't you, then it was something in this room. Maybe a toy? It sounded small and high-pitched. And he said, well, I don't have any toys, but you woke me up, so I'm going to go to the bathroom. I take that as my opportunity to find the source of that noise. I turn on the lights, I look under the bed, the sheets, I open all the drawers and the closet, nothing. Jesse comes in after a few minutes and helps me look as well. Nothing. There's no toy and not a trace of anything that could possibly, to my knowledge, make that noise that I heard. And at some point, you're out of options of what you can do. I searched everywhere, and while I know that I heard what I heard, without any evidence, you're sort of forced to drop it. And we get back in bed. Now the lights are off again at this point. We're sitting in bed, leaning against his bedboard. And he's making jokes. He's not taking me seriously at all. I'm trying to show him the pat down my leg, what it felt like. And he's just saying things like, do you think if it's a ghost that we could talk to it? And I'm like, what makes you think this thing owes you any truth? It could tell us that it's a little girl from India and really it's a 4,000-year-old demon. I have no idea what's true, what's not true. I don't know what to take seriously or what not to take seriously, but I know that I don't want to communicate with this thing. The next words out of his mouth were, If there is something in this room, let your presence be known. He didn't say this with his arms up. He wasn't praying. His eyes weren't closed. He was saying this in a joking way. And again, I punch him in the back. And I am just, I'm laughing, but out of nervousness. I'm laughing because I don't know what to do. I'm trying to make the moment lighter than it is. As our laughter begins to die down, and the second there is an inch of silence, The moment that the room becomes quiet, directly in front of our faces, from what felt like a foot away, as we stare into pitch black nothing, a scream begins to roar at us out of thin air. This noise was unlike anything I'd ever heard in my 23 years on this earth. It didn't remind me of anything human or animalistic. It felt like I was experiencing seeing a color that I'd never before witnessed. It was a blend of tones stacked on top of each other, jagged and out of harmony, but still blending together to make this banshee-like scream. The sound started small, like it was coming from a single point directly in front of our faces. And as it came at us, it did something that sound isn't supposed to do. Sound normally goes out and hits a surface which absorbs it or reverberates it. But as this sound was growing in size and volume, 
it also twisted and bent. It was being manipulated in the air to circle and surround us. The sound was going above, below, and around us, enveloping us in a sphere. I could tell I was in a bubble. I could hear that this scream, this blend of tones swooshing around us, resembling speed and direction like a river, which was behind us, over our heads, to our sides, and even under the bed. And the freakiest part was I could also tell that it wasn't leaving the room. The scream was getting louder for us, but it wasn't going outward to the walls of the bedroom. It was dense and thick and compressed like it was being cupped, which felt to me like no one else in the house was aware of what was happening, that if you were outside the door, you wouldn't even hear it. My body was frozen. I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't even breathe. I felt as though I had retreated into some form of survival mode in my mind as a last resort to keep me from no doubt dying of shock. I felt like I was going insane as my mind was incapable of making sense of anything I was experiencing. Until finally the sound started to peel itself back. Again, something sound cannot physically do. Sound can't be returned from where it came from. But this sound was being sucked back. It was going in reverse to its point of origin, getting small once again and moving toward the end of the bed where our feet were. As the sound got smaller, I regained the mental freedom to look and move my eyes again, but I still see nothing near our feet. But I hear the scream dwindle to a remarkably small point and then move off and under the bed. As if we had communicated it, we both instinctively grabbed the covers and threw them over our heads, grabbing each other. We were grappling each other's arms so hard we were bruising each other. We were crying and panting and trying to steady our breath as snots coming down our noses, doing everything we can to regain the ability to speak. Jesse was the first one to talk. We need to get out of here. And I didn't know what to do. This wasn't a movie. This wasn't fiction. That was my real fucking life. And if I fucked up and made the wrong decision, I could be dead before I realized what happened. I don't know what's real in this moment. I'm scanning my mind for every book I've ever read, every supernatural TV show I've ever watched, every story I've ever heard, and none of it feels like help because all of that was bullshit and this is real. I don't know what this is. I don't know if it's a ghost, a demon, an alien, or just something that goes bump in the night without a name. What if this is what happens before people go missing? What if it's too late? What if I'm already as good as dead? This all goes through my head in a split second before I respond to Jesse, I can't run. And he goes, well, we can't stay here. To which I thought, good point. He says, on the count of three, I'll go first. One, two, three. We jump, and he runs. I'm following after him, and then I do it. I do the thing I've spent my whole life judging other people for in every movie. I trip, and I fall in the room. I get back up, and I run so hard at his living room French doors that I bust them open, not even touching the handle. We wake up the entire house with all the noise we made. His dad, mom, younger sister, and baby brother come out, and we tell them everything that happened crying for about an hour, just reliving the entire experience. Finally, they all go to bed because they didn't experience anything, and at this point, it's 5 a.m. Me and Jesse sit on the couch, and I wait till sunrise hits so Jesse is safe, and I leave the house. I spend the entire next day jumping at shadows. I don't know if I'm safe. I don't know if this thing is coming for me. I don't know if it was a one-time thing. I'm too scared to even tell anybody about it. Well until 3 a.m. At 3 a.m. I get a phone call from Jesse's mom. It's a FaceTime. I answer it. I know exactly what she's going to say, or at least what it's about. I answer the FaceTime, and she's crying. She's looking at me, and she goes, we just had something happen. Jesse gets onto the FaceTime as well, and he tells me, I'm sitting in my room. I'm sitting with the lights on, under my covers, leaning against the headboard, and I feel a hand grab me right where my chest is and the yanks the covers and throws them across the room he immediately jumps up and he runs out of the room he calls his mom and his mom comes into the room she says I walk into the room Andres and I look and I see that the fan is blasting on high spinning 
spinning like a top and that everything that was on the walls is on the floor now. All of his trophies, pictures, books, and then in the window, I see light come up. His window is facing a fence. There is nothing on the other side of this window other than their backyard. And as light fills the window, the room fills with light. And the room becomes as bright as daylight. It's shining. And then out of nowhere, it's gone. I wish I could say that was the end of our experiences in that house. But it was only, unfortunately, the beginning. all for this week's episode folks this is extra fancy behind me now and we just heard from andres franco that story was edited by john lasala you can find andres at the andres franco that's a-n-d-r-e-z-f-r-a-n-c-o Before Andres, we heard Tiny Tim singing People Are Strange. And before that, we heard from Leah Scotia, their story about the visitor to her apartment. You can find Leah on YouTube at L-E-A-H-S-C-O-T-I-A. That story was edited by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Before Leah, we heard a... An interstitial by Ben Stern. And before that was that Hush Hush Bogeyman song from... um, What's the name of that fella? That is an old song from the 30s. Henry Hall and his orchestra. So much going on on this episode, folks. Between John LaSala and Jeff Barr working on all the editing of all of the stories and our story coaches, Cindy Freeman, was reaching out to so many people about their stories. David Crabb did the coaching for the live stream show. Jonah Ray guest hosted. (laughs) So you can see, you can see why we call for your support on Patreon. We've got a lot of people working on these shows. And all of you, all of you who sent in your pitches, it means the world to us. Some of them we're going to save for later, some for Patreon, some for next year's episode, some for non-Halloween episodes, all sorts of great stuff. And remember, you can pitch us scary stories all year long. We're always reading those pitches and putting them aside and making decisions about when to run them. Just go to the submissions page at risk-show.com to find out how to pitch us. And if you want to work 
on your stories with anyone on our staff, just go to thestorystudio.org. There are so many workshopping opportunities there. Or you could reach out to me at kevinallison.com. Listen, you don't want to miss our next live stream. It is November 6th. Friday, November 6th at 10 p.m. Eastern is the next live stream show. I'll be there this time. And I really, 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 really hope we're celebrating good news at that point. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast folks everything you want to know about us is at risk-show.com slash tour or at the storystudio.org all of our socials are at risk show and on twitter and instagram i'm at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Yeah. <gasps>